Good morning, Journey. How are you? All right. You guys ready for part four of our Money Matters series? It's going to be a fun 30 minutes or so together. Uh, growing up, I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house, and so we'd spend most of our summer days there. And if we got a chance, we would always spend our summer evenings there because you know this. If you have kids or at one point you were a kid, you get away with more at your parents or your grandparents' house. And so we enjoyed staying there uh, anytime that we could. And one of the things we did in the evening was we would go outside and catch fireflies. Anybody, anybody else take, take part of that? You might have called them lightning bugs if you grew up. In, in the sticks, all right? And so uh, we, we would go out there and we would catch them. And what you would do is it'd be pitch black if, if you could see them. And so they would light up. And you couldn't see them unless they lit up. So they'd light up and then you would go. And the best way to catch a firefly is with the lid. I don't know if you guys, I don't know if your experts had it like me. But you would walk up and you'd wait for them to light up. And as soon as they did, you and you'd put them in the jar. And so what we would do is for 30 or 40 minutes, we would catch fireflies. And then we would take them in the house and cut every light in the house off. All the TVs and anything that produced any form of light whatsoever. And this would almost serve like a nightlight. Now, I know some of you right now are thinking, he let every one of those bugs die, right? That's what you're thinking. No, we did not. We would play with them for a little while. And then we'd take them outside and we would gently, gently let them go. So we would tip the, the bottle and then, you know, you'd have to... The last one never wanted to get out, and so you'd let them go out and, and you'd do that. And so uh, when Erica and I first started talking about dating, it was brought to our attention by someone other than ourselves. So I'd already uh, waited her out in her living room at one point, made her have a conversation with me. But my brother and sister-in-law were convinced that we were meant to be together, like God had given them a message that me and my wife were going to be together. And so at their wedding, what happened was my, my sister-in-law got ready to throw her bouquet. Instead of throwing it, she turned around and handed it to Erica. And so my brother had... Had my sister-in-law's guard, and you know, you know, you're gonna shoot it or do whatever it is people want to do with it now. And uh, instead of doing that, he turned around and he handed it to me. <laughs> and so I was like, "Man, y'all are y'all are so horrible and awesome at the same time. Thank you. I will take all the help that I can get." And so we began talking. But one of the first things that we did as a date, I didn't want to go to the movies or, or anything hokey like that. So I invited her over, and what we were going to do is we we're going to enjoy a meal, and we were going to go catch fireflies at my grandmother's house and so i know right now you guys are melting i'm telling you and so that's what we were going to do and we go we go to my grandmother's house it's completely dark they're everywhere you can see them constantly going off and so we walk to where the majority of them are and we began trying to catch them and i don't know what happened between the age of 12 and the age of 20 but i couldn't catch anything anymore it went from being an expert with the lid to trying to catch with your hand and then you open it, right? I don't know why I thought that would work, but we never, we didn't catch anything for 10 minutes. And then 10 minutes in, we caught one. And so we got it, we put it in the jar, we closed the lid real tight, and we waited. Right? Nothing happened. And I thought, well, we must have killed it, right? This thing must be dead. And so you shake the jar a little bit, and you, you can see it move around, but it never would light up. And so we waited another 10, 15, 20 minutes, and, and we didn't catch anything. That, that was it. The only thing we caught was this one bug, and, and we had gotten so bored by the time we got back to the house, we named him. And so Henry was hanging out in the jar all by himself, and we go inside, and we cut all the lights on, and I hold the jar up to the light, and we had one black beetle. <laughs> right? Not one, not one firefly had been caught. And I want you to know 
that my expectations that night were not met with reality. And I hope as we've walked through this series on finances that your expectations were not met with reality either. Because we know, we're not oblivious to the fact that when we plan a financial series that there are a lot of you that go, man, I really don't, I don't want to be a part of that and I don't want to hear about it. But Jesus talks about it over and over and over again. And that's because a series on finances is not so much about how we manage the money that God has given us, but it's, it's more of a series on idolatry. It's about us using something to replace the spot that God should have in our lives. So it's about us replacing or treating something as a God substitute. So it's anything that we look to for happiness or for security or for comfort other than God. It's something that hijacks our heart. And the thing most likely to hijack your heart, according to Jesus, is your wealth. Is your wealth. More than anything else, the thing that will pull your heart away from your relationship with God, is the wealth and blessings that God has given you. In Matthew 19, 23, Jesus addresses it head on. He says this, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're here week one, Pastor Mike did a tremendous job of sharing with us that we're rich, uh, especially compared to the rest of the world, that we're considered wealthy or rich, by the rest of the world. And so this is a message, not for someone else. You see, it's what tends to happen when we talk about finances. We always think it's a message for someone else. And we go, well, I don't really need to hear that because I don't have enough. And if I just had some more, then I'd be okay with my finances. And I promise I would do better than whoever, insert name, does with their finances. Like, I would handle it better. I would do more. It's always about something else. But but we know, without a doubt, that we are wealthy. And so this is a verse for you, and this is a verse for me. And Jesus is saying right off the bat, I want you to know, you, here in this room today, that it is hard for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it interesting that he didn't say, man, it's hard for people that come from broken homes to enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say that. He didn't say it's hard for people that had a rough childhood or a bad example growing up to enter the kingdom of heaven. He did not say it's hard for people who have drug addictions or have addictions to alcohol or have any kind of other addiction to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he did say it's hard for someone who is wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, it's because our wealth tends to hijack our heart and pull it away from the one that it was designed for. In Matthew 6, he reiterates and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's it. It's a matter of the heart. And it's a matter about what has our heart. And when our finances have our heart and our wealth has our hearts, our life will show it. Listen, and when God has our life, it will show it in every other area of our life. So we're going to dig into a passage today in Exodus. But before we get into that, I just want to give you an overarching principle for everything that that we're going to talk about today. And the principle is this, is that life trends toward order when God is first and toward chaos when he is not. That life trends toward order when God is first and it trends toward chaos when he is not. Now, this is true in every area of our life. In fact, you can insert other words here if you want to, that my marriage trends toward order when God is first, and toward chaos when he is not, right? My finances trend toward order when God is first, and toward chaos when he 
is not. It, it reigns true. Your parenting trends toward order when God is first and toward chaos when, when he is not. So with that in mind, let's jump into Exodus chapter 13, which is where we'll be hanging out for most of the day. Uh, the, the nation of Israel is about ready to, to leave Egypt at this point. So this is the middle of the plagues. Nine of them have happened already. God is getting ready to uh, complete one last plague that will lead the nation uh, out of the nation of Egypt and lead them into into freedom. And he's having a conversation with Moses, or rather giving Moses instructions. And it goes this way. And the Lord said to Moses, Dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. You must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. A firstborn donkey may be bought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or a young goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. Now, you're thinking there's nothing about finances in that passage whatsoever, right? That's what you're thinking. I don't know what this has to do with anything. So I'm going to ask you to hang in there with me for five minutes. If you will give me... Five minutes, I promise, at the end of this five minutes, you're going to see how this not only applies to finances in your life, but ultimately to everything that you do in life. And so the the lamb was a symbol for every clean animal in the nation of Israel. So it represented all of the animals that God had declared to be clean. And a donkey was a symbol of every unclean animal in the nation of Israel. And so the command is this, is when a clean animal has a firstborn or human has a firstborn, that, that you're to, to sacrifice it, or you can buy it back, or when an unclean, rather. When an unclean has a firstborn, you can sacrifice it, or you can, you can purchase it back, and when a clean has one, you have to, you have to sacrifice it. So let me ask you this. You go again, that doesn't make any sense. Were you born clean? I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually. Were you born toward, uh, with a bend to do right, or were you born with a bend to do, to do wrong? Anybody? To do wrong, right? Anybody that has ever raised a child knows that within three weeks, you go, we're selfish, right? Human beings are selfish, and there is no one more selfish than my three-week-old, right? You know it, just right off the bat. You don't have to teach them that. Man, they're just born with it. They're ingrained with it. They hoard toys. They hoard anything they can get their hands on. It's all about them. Life revolves around them. Now, let me ask you this. Was Jesus born clean or unclean? He was born clean. And do you know what happened? Is the clean came from heaven and was sacrificed for the unclean. That's what happened. And so God chose to give his first. Listen, this is almost God's tithe to humanity, to the nation of Israel specifically, that God chose to give his first and his best for us so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be ransomed, so that we could be bought back. And so our giving of our first and our best is simply a response to what God has already done. So jot it down. We give our first and our best to God because he gave his first and his best for us. That's it. That's where it lands. He, he chose to give what was best. And so it's really an act of worship for us to respond by giving back to God our first and our best. The word bought back, if you read it in the original language, is a word called pada. And it means this. It means to buy out, to redeem, to ransom, or to release. And let me ask you, is that not what God has done for each and every person that has placed their faith in Jesus? That he has bought them back? 
that he has redeemed them, that he has restored them, that he has released them. Listen, he has bought you back. He paid the price for you that he didn't know, that being the price of his life. He redeemed you and offered you new life. He ransomed you from the cost that was on you, and he released you from the bondage of sin and death and and released you into new life. That is exactly what he has done for us. So I want you to know, and I want you to hear our heart as pastors at Journey, that any time we teach on finances, that we're not trying to get anything from you, but we want you to experience all that God has for you. Right? That's it. It's a response of ours to worship. And so we say, God, you know what? Every time that we give back to you, every time we return to you a tithe from what you've given to us, it's a reminder for each and every one of us, whether you give in a basket or you give online or whether you write a check, however you give, it's a reminder that, God, you gave your first and your best for me. And so I'm going to respond by giving my first and my best to you. The Bible uh, actually dives into it uh, a little bit more and tells us this. It tells us that, that tithing is the only thing that God invites us to testimony. And so we respond out of a heart of gratitude. And then God goes, look, I'm so serious about this. I want you to test me on it. Just see if it will not take place. If you do this and it doesn't work, uh, then it would make God out not, not to be a truth teller, but rather to be a liar. In Malachi, the Bible says this. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, he says. Put me to the test. Put me to the test. Just try it and see if I do not open the flood gates of heaven. Look, it don't make sense. Because the expectation is this, is that when we give something away, we have less. And God is saying, if you will rightfully give me what is mine, if you will return it, you will have more. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have more money and necessarily resources. God is just saying, if you will return to me what is mine, then I'm going to open the storehouses of heaven, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to provide for you. It is a promise for him. Look, you ever ever talk to anyone who has just gone shopping, and they got a great deal, right? They, they, they tell you about it. My, my mother-in-law used to be mad about this, and I think it's the first argument we ever had with one another. I don't know if you guys argue with your mother-in-law, but from time to time it's fun, right? You should, you should try it. Just poke and see, see if you can get them a little angry. And so she went shopping, and, and she came back to where we were all at, and she goes, you will not believe how much I saved. And so I sat there, and I'm a smart aleck. I don't know if you guys can read that from where you're sitting, but I said, you saved nothing, <laughs> right? You didn't save anything. You spent money. Saving money means that you do not spend it. And so you didn't save money. You actually spent money. It doesn't make sense, right, that if you give something away that you're getting more back. That's what God is saying, though. He said, I want you to know that you can give and get more in return. That, that That's what's going to happen. That if you give, I'm going to take care of you and I'm going I'm going to, to bless you. Jot this down. When, we bring, when we're bringing God back what belongs to him, we're not giving him what belongs to us. We're bringing back what is his. We're not giving him something... That belongs to us. He says, bring all the tithe in the storehouse. And if you do this, says the Lord, I will open the heaven. I will open, excuse me, the windows of heaven for you and pour out blessing. It already belongs to him. We see this playing out completely through uh, the life of Israel. So several years from now, about 41 or so years from now, they're going to take the land 
that God has promised to them. And they're going to be marching in and, and they're going to come upon uh, the city of Jericho. And God is going to tell them something. He's going to say, I want you to wipe out the city completely, everything in it. Do not keep anything for yourself. I want you to completely wipe out anything in there. And if you were like me the first time I read that, I thought, man, why would God, why would God do that? But if you keep reading, you find out that Jericho is just the first. It's just the first city of a lot that God was going to give them. Listen, it belonged to him. The first belonged to him. You'll see the principle played out over and over and over again throughout scripture that the first is always God's. It belongs to him. You see it play out in the lives of two people, specifically in the lives of Cain and Abel, where the Bible tells us this happened. It said, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So, so he was growing vegetables. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and other fat portions. So he was raising cows and other animals. And the Lord regarded for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, why, why do you think that is? Right? Why did he choose not to accept Cain's, but he chose to accept Abel's? Now, you may be looking at this as a true southerner the way that I do, and you go, well, that, that's easy. God don't want vegetables. He wants meat, right? Because meat's better... Right? Meat's better than vegetables, but that's not actually what's happened. Let, let me read it for you one more time and see if you don't catch it. In Genesis 4, again, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering uh, of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought, here it is, the firstborn of his flock. And so Cain is bringing what's left over, and Abel is bringing what's first. And God requires what's first. That is what belongs to him. What belongs to him also is sacred and not to be used for common things. And that is exactly what was happening uh, in the life of Cain. He was taking what belonged to God and he was using it for himself. And isn't that what we do a lot? We give God what's left over. We say, God, I got to get all this taken care of. And then I'm going to get you what's yours. All right. I'm going to I got to make sure my credit card bill is paid because I had to have that new pair of shoes because it just wouldn't look right without them. And uh, now I got I got a balance on there, so I got to make sure that that's paid. And then I'm gonna pay my mortgage, and then I'm gonna make sure that my three car payments are paid for. And then I got to make sure we got enough money to eat out on because we can't eat at home every night, and that's boring. And how dare we eat leftovers, right? And so so I'm gonna take care of all this. And then God, if I have that ten percent left over, then then I will give that to you. I'll give you the leftovers. And so I want you to say I'm not not trying to attack you, but I do love you enough to tell you the truth. That's exactly what Cain was doing. He's going, all right, I got all this stuff. Now, God, here's a little bit for you. I got a little bit left over, and so I'm going to bring this for you. And his brother was doing right the opposite. He was saying, Lord, I'm going to bring you the first and the best of what you've chosen to give to me. You know, the Bible says there's some things that, that God can't do. And I want to suggest to you today that God couldn't accept the offer or the offering that was brought to him that day. It's true. I know we're fond of saying there's nothing impossible with God, and there's not. But the Bible is clear that there are things that he can't do, and that's anything that goes against his character he can't do. For instance, the Bible says that God cannot tell a lie because he is truth. And so it's impossible for God to to tell a lie. He can't do it. It also tells us that it's impossible for God to change. It says that he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that God does not change. There's no shifting in him. It also says that it's impossible for God to think, listen, because he already knows everything. Now, I want you to think through this. It might blow your mind, but it, God, there's never been anything occur to God. God's never sat around and went, 
man, guess what I just thought of? Because he already knows all of it. There's nothing left for him to think of. So it's impossible for him to think the way that you and I do. And then listen, it's also impossible for God to be second. It's impossible for him to be second. The, 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 the theologians call it the preeminence of God. That he's always first. Now you may choose to put him second or third or fourth in your life. But listen, where you place him in your life does not change who he is. He is first. That's who he is. And because he's first, he requires the first and he accepts the first and he can't accept leftovers. Let me put it to you this way. Suppose I invited you to my house and I said, hey, I want you to come have dinner with me and my wife. And so you get to the house and you walk in and we greet you, right? We shake your hand at the door. We tell you that that we're glad you're here. We're looking forward to hanging out with you. And you come and you sit down at the table and as you're sitting at the table, I reach into the refrigerator and I pull out some spaghetti that I had three days ago. Right? And I set it on the table and I go, hey, it's probably a little cold. If you want to heat it up, you, you pop it in the microwave. And then I go, hey, by the way, it's three days old. And so if it tastes funny, also has some leftover egg salad. So, so we'll eat that, right? If the spaghetti don't quite work out, there's two day old egg salad. So that's probably, that's probably still, you would not feel really honored, would you? You go, man, he doesn't even care if I'm here at all. That, that's what we do when we present God our leftovers. We're going, God, I want you to know that you don't matter as much as these other things do. And so as soon as I take care of the things that are most important in my life, I'm going to give you what I have left over. And I want you to know it's impossible for God to accept our leftovers as an act of worship. Now, tangibly, it plays out this way. Say I invited you to that same same house, and I said, I want you to come over, and we have not cleaned my daughter's room in a week, and so I'll pay you $1,000 to clean it. Now, a week of my daughter in her room, you're probably getting underpaid, so, but I'm going to offer it to you. I'm going to $1,000. You finish, you clean it up. It's the best that it has ever looked, ever. And so I come out, and I pay you in $100 bills. Now, somebody that's a great mathematician, shout out, how many $100 bills would that be? There you go. See, I cheated for y'all, right? That's 10 Ten $100 bills. Let's just say we laid them out right here on the table, one in a row. That means that the first one belongs to God. That of all the ten, that that first one is his. That from the beginning, I go, all right, I just got ten $100 bills. Lord, that first one is the one that I'm returning to you. Right? I'm not even giving it. This already belongs to you. I'm returning to you what belongs to you. Now, the other nine, we talked a lot about throughout throughout the last two weeks about how we should use those things. But those are ours to manage. But that first ten always goes back to God. And it's because he wants to be first in our priority and he wants to be first in our heart because our heart determines the course of our life. Look at, look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So wherever your treasure is, whatever is the first priority in your heart and in your life, and listen, in your checkbook, if you will, is where your heart will be also, and so God requires the first and the best from us. Now, you may be sitting in your seat right now thinking, Daniel, you just, you just don't know. That sounds good. And I wish I could do that. Right over these last three or four weeks, I've, I've been listening. And I'm thinking, man, I wish that is something uh, that we could do as a family. And maybe we can, we can build to that point somewhere. But you just don't know, man. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know the stress of trying to pay our bills every week. You don't know the amount of bills that we have. Look, I want you to know this. I don't know you, and I don't know your specific 
circumstance unless at some point you've shared that with me. I don't know what situation you are in life, but study after study after study tells us this, that almost every American is spending more money than they make. And so what, what you do is you get a paycheck and then there's things that that paycheck won't cover, but you still want them. And so you have a credit card majority of the time and you swipe that. Or maybe maybe you got a, an account on PayPal so that it doesn't feel like a credit card, right? You don't have to hold it in your hand. So you just hit a button and then all of a sudden the debt starts building up and, and study after study shows that we're outspending what we make. And so the average American now spends over 100% of their paycheck Every year, it's somewhere around the, the range of 104, 105%. We're literally spending. So I would guess that a lot of us in that room, in this room, that's where we're at. We're spending more than we make. That week in and week out, as we just go through life, that we're consistently spending more money than we make. And that's probably the situation a lot of us are in. But I want you to know this. There will never be a time in your life that you can afford to tithe. But tithing is the one thing that you will never be able to afford to do until you do it. It's it. It's the one thing in your life that you'll never be able to afford to do until you do it. And listen, I'm not trying to to get up in your business, but this is personal to me. It's personal because I saw it change the life of my family uh, as a child. My dad decided that that around the age of eight or nine, he was going to start handling his finances the way that God intended for him to handle finances. And so he began to dig into it, and he began to talk to people that were a lot smarter than him. So he, he pulled in a Christian financial advisor. And I want you to know where we were at as a family at this time. So, so there was a point growing up that I got up in the middle of the night, and we couldn't afford to run heat, and there was a Dr. Pepper frozen solid on our counter. And so if we were middle class, we were low, 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 low middle class. That, that's the way that I grew up for the first eight or nine years of my life. If you've been here at, at some point, you probably heard me joke about the fact my mom used to make my clothes. And I told you never do that. Like, don't ever curse your child with that. She didn't make them because she wanted to, right? She made them because she had to. That's where we're at. And, and my dad decides, you know what? I'm going to start handling money the way that God wants me to handle money. And you know what he started doing? He started giving 1%. So for the first month or so, they literally just returned 1%. And then next month, a little more, a little more conviction, and, and they started giving 5%. And then a little while later, it jumped up to, to 8%. And then it jumped up to 10%. And you know what? It just kept going. It jumped up to 12%. And I saw the passage in Malachi lived out in my life. I saw my parents choose to honor God with our finances. And I saw it change our life. Let me tell you what happened. My dad was an accountant, right? Life of the party type of people. And so he was an accountant and, and he was faithful at his job. He'd go, he'd go to work early. He'd come home late. He would bring work home with him sometimes in the living room. And I watched my dad at one point spend three months trying to find 35 cents. And I was like, you should just donate 35 cents, right? Just, just get it over with. But he was faithful to work hard because he believed that's what God wanted him to do. He started honoring God with his finances and he, it got to a point where he was up for a promotion. And due to some laws that had been passed and things going on at the place that he would work at, it was impossible for him to get the promotion. They had to hire someone else. And so my dad's boss called him in one day and he said, hey, you know this job has to go to someone else, even though you're qualified for it and you're the guy I would like to hire. And my dad goes, you've already thought through it. I understand it. I'm okay with that. You, get, you have to do what's best for you and what's best for this business. I get it. And he said, but look, I'm going to ask you to do a lot of the work, and I'm going to give you the raise you would get anyway. And overnight, my dad's salary doubled. And I want you to know it was not because he worked hard, but it was because he honored God with the first and the best over and over again. So if it seems like I'm a little passionate, a little up in your business, it's because I saw it. I saw the way that it changed my family's life. 
And it got personal with us also. One day my dad brought home a box. And it was, it was a wood box. It's about this big. And he said, hey, I got a gift for you. And I walked in and I thought, Are you, you got me a wood box. Yes, that is what I've always wanted, right? I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. And, and I opened up the box and he called me and my brother's in. He said, I want to teach you guys about handling money God's way. And he set us down and, and we opened the box and there was three compartments in each of our boxes. And he said, every time that you get money from me and your mom or from your grandmother or for a birthday, I want you to do something. He said, I want you to know, first 10%, that's God's. And so you put that in, in this compartment. He said, the next 10% you're saving, you put that in this compartment. He goes, and the rest of it is yours. You do, you do whatever you want to with it. And then he goes, but I'm going to encourage you to save more than that, right? There's going to be big things you want. And so spend your money wisely. Don't, don't spend $10 on Laffy Taffy, right? I want you to make, make wise decisions. So we walked through that, and, and we began to live that out. And so my dad literally gave us $10 a month was our allowance. I know, calm down, right? $10 a month. And, and literally he would give it to us in ones. And so $1 here, $1 there, $8 here. And that's the way that it rocked along, one. And we, we'd go to church on Sunday, and I would give my dollar. And I really didn't know what, why I was giving my dollar. But now I know. My dad was just simply training me to do what was right in the eyes of God. And so I give my dollar every week. And I began to save up my money. And the first purchase I ever saved for and paid cash for was Tecmo Super Bowl for the original Nintendo. Come on, anybody? Right? One of the best Nintendo games ever made. So I saved up. I remember walking up to the counter. And, and there's something about buying something that you can pay for, right? It feels different. Than swiping a card or knowing the next eight years of my life I'm going to be paying for a vehicle that I probably won't have at that point. So I put the cash on the counter, and the lady goes, hey, I didn't figure in tax, right? I wasn't a smart kid. I was just a kid, so I didn't figure in tax. My mom, she covers the difference for me. She puts money on the counter, and she comes in a day later, and she's going to teach me a lesson about what's valuable in life. And she goes, well, was it worth it? And I know she was expecting, you know, I really wish... I had my money back, but I looked at her and I said, heck yeah, it was worth it. Every dime of it. It was absolutely worth it. The best game ever made. But look, there, there was nothing there that my dad hadn't taught me already. He said, look, I'm going to teach you how to handle finances God's way, that, that you're going to give, you're going to save, you're going to live. That's the way that God intends for you to handle the things that he has given you. And it played all throughout our life. God doesn't want nor accept our, our leftovers. He wants what's first in our life. In the Bible and listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I shied away from sharing scriptures like this for years because I didn't want to be thought of as a TV evangelist. But they're here and they're true. And so I want you to know them. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever generously will also reap generously. And then it says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Did you get that? The best. The first and the best. With the best part of everything you produce. Then here's another promise. And he will fill your barns with grain. And your vats will overflow with good, good wine. And so we give. We return to God. So now I want you to know this. And we, we've heard testimony after testimony just in the last four weeks of people going, you know, I thought when I actually gave that much that, that I would miss it. But I hadn't missed it. And that's because God's promise is true. It's true. When we return to him. He provides and He cares for us. That's the how, but why? Like, why do this in the first place? Why do you think God commands us to return the first and the best to Him? Here's why, and we're, we're going to wrap up. It's because tithing teaches you and those who come behind you to live by faith. It teaches you and those who come behind you 
to live by faith. And so we don't give every week just to ensure that, that lights are on, right? That, that stuff's nice and that water is running and that there are pastors here. That's, that's not why we give. God owns everything anyway, right? He can get the gospel message out without everything that we have here. He already owns it. He don't need what we have. And so he tells us to give and to bring back what's first to teach us about living by faith. Think about it. That if you have a sheep or if you have a donkey, especially in the time that Scripture is written, and you sacrifice the firstborn, you don't know if it's ever going to have another one. You're saying, Lord, I trust that everything I have comes from you. Turning to you what belongs to you, you will continue to care and provide for me. And it teaches you to live by faith. But listen, the same way my dad chose to live by faith and taught me to live by faith, it happens in your life. That as your kids and as the generations that come behind you see you choosing to live by faith by giving God your first and your best, they will learn to live by faith also. Here's the way it ends in Exodus chapter 13, verses 14, 15, say this. And in the future, your children will ask you, what does all this mean? And you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of slavery, And Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go. And the Lord killed all the firstborn males throughout the land of Egypt, both people and animals. That is why I now sacrifice all the firstborn males to the Lord, except the firstborn sons who are always bought back. Imagine how the conversations must have... So you will transport yourself back in time for for some two or three thousand years. and, and, And Israel has been in the promised land for... Sometime, and there's another generation coming behind them. And the generation before them has been faithful to bring the first and the best back to God over and over again. And let's just say that you're taking over the family farm. And you're sitting there one day, and you're beginning to take care of your parents who are aging, and you pull the books out, and you begin to look at them. And you go, man, I didn't realize this happened every time. That every time there was a firstborn male, that my dad was either sacrificing it or he was redeeming it by sacrificing something else. And you begin to think, man, he has wasted a lot of resources. And you walk in, you go, Dad, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but I mean, this isn't something you're doing on occasion, but this is something you're consistently doing. In fact, I looked at the books and, and you've sacrificed 10% of everything that has ever been given to us, and you've wasted a lot of resources, and I don't know how we're going to survive on what's left. And the dad interrupts you. He goes, hey, son, I, I want you to know that had we not sacrificed the 10%, we would have never made it. We would have never made it that by God's mighty and outstretched arm, he has provided for us, and he freed us from slavery. And so I willingly... And as an act of worship, return to him my first and my best. Now, if you will, fast forward maybe another 30, 40 years in your life, and your life is coming to an end. And your family is gathered around, and you're making plans for what's about to happen. And one of your kids comes to you and says, Mom and Dad, I know the church has been super important to you guys, but I don't know if you know this or not, but I've been looking at your bank accounts and you hadn't just been given a little. You've literally been given 10% of everything that God 
has ever given you, and that's a lot of resources, and you know, there's a lot of extra bills now, and I just don't know how we'll, we'll make it, and you have the chance, as someone who has lived by faith, to look at your family and go, had we never given the 10%, we would have never, never made it. We would have never made it, and you get to teach your family to live by faith. Listen again, it's not, it's not about trying to get something from you. This is about helping you understand what God has already given you. It's really not what, what you expected, is it? That night when we, we caught fireflies, it wasn't what we expected. Erica continued to date me. So if you've been on one bad date, don't end it there. Give the poor guy another chance. We're not real smart people sometimes. So we caught a beetle named Henry. And it's been fun to talk about. We've talked about Henry for about, about 20 years now. Every now and then he'll come back up and one of us will go, Hey, you remember the time that we went to try to catch fireflies and all we caught was a beetle? Believe it or not, beetle never lit up. Never lit up. That night didn't go as expected, but something happened. And I want you to hold your applause. But that night we didn't catch any fireflies. But I did kiss my wife for the first time that night. And I want you to know it wasn't what I expected, but it was way better. Right? Firefly. Kiss with your wife. Yeah, I'll take it any day. I want you to know this. That giving and the reason behind it, that 10%, returning to God what is His, the reason behind it is not what we expected, but I want you to know this, the results are better. They're always better. Hey, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for who you are. As we walk through the next few moments, would you make it evident that you're here with us? Hey, would you remain in a, in a state of prayer? We're just going to walk through a couple, couple of next steps for you this morning. And the first one is this. It's a reminder that God gave his first and his best for you in the person of Jesus. And I don't want you walking out of this room without being clear about what God has said and what he's done for you so that you can be in a relationship with him. The Bible tells us clearly that, that we're born unclean, that that's how we're born. That we're born with a bent toward sin and toward doing what is wrong. That we've missed the mark, if you will, that God had set for us. And it tells us clearly that the wages of that sin is death and eternal separation from God. But listen, there's a beautiful part of Scripture that says, But but the gift of God is eternal through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, when God gave his best, Jesus didn't just come and show you how to live. Jesus came and paid a price that you owe. He paid a price that I owe. And he stretched out his arms and he died on a cross even though there was no sin found in his life ever. And he paid the price that you owe. He paid the price that I owe. And now, because of the sacrifice that he made, he offers us forgiveness and new life. Freedom. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced the forgiveness and the freedom that is found in the person of Jesus, I want to give you a chance to do it. Listen, you say this prayer after me. You don't have to say it out loud. This is a prayer to be said between you and God. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving of yourself the first and the best for me. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins, that you were buried, and that you rose again. And today I choose to trust you, Lord, not just with my finances, but with my life. Because I got good news. If you just said that prayer, then 
then you've began your walk with Jesus. You've began your walk with God. We want to celebrate that with you. There's a VIP room in the back of this room here. We have some people that just love to pray with you. And we've got a free Bible that we'd like to place in your hands. So would you do something for me? If you said that prayer, would you mark it on the, on the card in the seat back in front of you? And then would you drop it in the offering basket? Or would you take it to that VIP room? We'd love to just get some stuff in your hands to help you as you began that walk. But maybe you're here and you've been walking with God for quite a while. And your response is not to trust Him for salvation, but your response is to actually to begin to trust Him with everything. To say, Lord, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to begin to return what's first and best to you. And as I do, I'm going to trust your word that you will care for me and you'll provide for me. If that's you, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I do want to pray for you. I know that's people all over this room saying, Lord, you know what? I need to start doing what your word says. So let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for anyone in this room that right now is contemplating returning to you what belongs to you. And, Lord, we admit we know it's not easy. And so we're not going to act like it is. Lord, it's a a huge step of faith for for us to return back to you 10% that belongs to you. So, Lord, would you help us? Give us the courage. Give us the courage to actually live out your word. And, Lord, as we do, we know you'll prove yourself faithful. Listen, one final step as you remain in a state of prayer. I don't know about you, but we automate things that are important in our family. And by important, I mean like the power bill is automated because I don't want to come home and, and not have power, right? The water bill, that, that's automated. The Internet is not as extremely important, but you know what? I kind of enjoy it. And so, so that's automated too. Those things just, just come out at the same time every month. But there's one thing that we ensure is always automated. We automate what's important in my family. Maybe you do in yours too. But I can promise you this. There's never been a time in the last three or four years, that our tithe has not been automated. We don't have to think about it. It's there. It's important. It's so important that we want to make sure that we never miss it. So could I encourage you, maybe that's your next step, is to actually automate your giving so that, so that there's no lapse, there's no misses, and you automate the things that are important to you. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for who you are. God, you're a God that changes lives, and you're a God that continues to bless and to give to us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.